Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is 91.3 FM and it's that time of your Saturday evening where you are tuned to questions and answers with myself, Yasmina Peterson. And in studio, we've got none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Mous, Imam at the Yusufiya Masjid. To know that you can send through your questions through to 47913. You can also send me an email on jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Sheikh, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh to you and and, uh, to our honorable listeners. Sheikh Shukran so much once again for being part of the program and we're going to be starting off with the questions in which we did not have a chance to look at last week and the first question is as follows Assalamu alaikum can Sheikh advise what is the ruling on tattoos? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in uh, Fortunately uh, this is one of the issues that has been very clearly spelled out to us uh, by our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam there's a hadith in Sahih al-Bukhari where the Prophet Sallallahu had mentioned uh, in fact it's a Sahabi that says uh, that لَعَنَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمَ الْوَاشِمَةَ وَالْمُسْتَوْشِمَةَ وَآكِلَ الْرِبَى وَمُوْكِلَهُ In this hadith the Prophet Sallallahu had cursed the one who uh, wants a tattoo done on his or her body and the person who actually does it for him or for her as well as the person who consumes riba and a person who gives riba as well so any person involved in that transaction any person involved in the process of tattooing obviously is committing a haram and the uh, uh, rationale behind that would be that obviously your body is sacred it has been given to you by Allah Ta'ala as an amana as, an t- as a trust so we should not obviously abuse it or uh, do things to it which is not allowed um, and especially tattoo that is permanent that cannot really come off and things it's, it causes a big problem um, but then I would like to add that perhaps we do find that people had had tattoos made before they became Muslim. This is a common thing in certain uh, cultures or in certain uh, regions. So if that is the case that a person had tattoos uh, applied to his body before he became Muslim, obviously now that he is Muslim, uh, so be it. There's nothing uh, you can do. But we do advise if there is any possibility for him to remove those tattooing, then obviously he should do that. He should uh, try his or her utmost best to remove them. Uh, if they cannot or they can't afford it, because I do understand it's quite an expensive process as well. So if they cannot afford it, to remove, then it's fine, inshallah. Hopefully, you know, it, it, it will be overlooked. But uh, generally speaking, yes, uh, we should at uh, all times refrain from this kind of activity. As I said, it has, it has been clearly uh, articulated to us in the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Much for that, Sheikh. To know that we are still taking your question on 47913. The fax number is 021447271. The following question reads Asalaamu Alaikum, Sheikh. Is it permissible for women to have nose piercings as well as piercing the top part of the ear? Yeah, it seems that it's uh, uh, an acceptable fact that uh, part of women's uh, beautification and uh, embellishment is to have uh, obviously earrings and, and things to adorn themselves with. Um, so the issue of uh, piercings uh, in the nose, for example, uh, which is not that common, but it is common in certain cultures, mm-hmm. right? And uh, Ibn Abidin is one of the scholars of the Hanafiya, the Hanafi madhab. Uh, mm-hmm. He mentions that 
ان كان مما يتزين النساء به كما هو في بعض البلاد فهو فيها كثقب القراط he says that if it is that the person uh, beautifies if the woman beautifies herself like this and it is common in a certain culture common in a certain place then this would be the same as piercing the ear is no different because it is actually part of the embellishment or, or beautification of a woman so according to Ibn Abidin of the Hanafi Madhab uh, he says that it is uh, okay to do that uh, there may be other scholars that disagree with this uh, but the fact that there are some scholars that allow it it would be okay and uh, of course uh, restricted to the ears of course or the top part of the ear it's still part of the ear the nose for example that is accepted culture uh, but any other form of piercing like the type of piercings that we find nowadays where people pierce their tongues and they pierce their cheeks and they pierce all parts of their bodies this obviously is not allowed because this would then uh, amount to uh, mutilating your own body and it's very similar to the tattoo issue it's as if you are uh, doing with your body that is sacred which you are not supposed to you are supposed to respect your body and not uh, add things to it uh, that is going to cause and it's harmful also I mean really it, it, it's painful and harmful to have these things done so obviously the hadith that says la darar wa la dirar, we should at all times avert harm as far as we can so all other forms of piercings uh, are not allowed but if it's in the ear or it's in the nose it, it's allowed according to some of our scholars as as I've mentioned shukran so much for that sheikh and then the last question before we break for ad break it says assalamu alaikum sheikh why does Allah refer to himself in a plural form for example we and us yeah this is uh, something in all languages uh, we call it the majestic plural uh, it's not really plural in its literal sense where it is more than one person speaking but it's a plural that is used for people of authority for people of majesty like the kings like the rulers they also speak in that particular tone so the the Arabic language is obviously uh, no different to that so the Arabic language also applies that rule of a person speaking in the plural form if it is an authoritative person speaking so obviously when Allah Ta'ala speaks speaks he sometimes uses the plural for this reason like in the verse where Allah says inna fatahna laka fatham mubina verily we had given you a open victory and of course the we does not mean that Allah is more than one Allah is only one Allah doesn't have any partners but uh, this we is the majestic we right it's the authoritative we and uh, this is acceptable as I said you will find that even kings or rulers they also speak like this and in fact in the Arabic language uh, as a form of respect also whenever you address someone and that person is either older than you or that person is uh, um, more senior or has a certain rank in society then in the Arabic language it is actually more ethical and more uh, appropriate to address that person in the plural although that person is only one person it's just a form of respect okay and this is very similar to that and so um, we, we then should have no problem in understanding that this is in the Quran very similar to that and uh, what is interesting is when Allah Ta'ala speaks about his power he will use the plural but whenever Allah Ta'ala speaks about his oneness his tawheed you will see Allah uses the singular so that there's no confusion so for example in the verse in Surah Taha Allah Ta'ala says innani ana Allah verily I am Allah Allah doesn't say we because this ayah has got to do not with power, but it's got to do with the tawheed of Allah. So when Allah speaks about his own tawheed and his oneness, he uses the singular form. But when he speaks about his power and his ability and his qudra, then he uses the plural form, which is a form of expression.
This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and that was the voice of Sheikh Ibrahim was in studio. We're taking your questions on 47913. Fax number is 021 You can also email me at jasmina at vocfm.co.za. For now, we break for ads, and when we come back, we'll continue with the program. Stay tuned. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Moos. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your program Questions and Answers right here on 91.3 FM. We are going to be in your company up until 7 o'clock inshallah. I'm your host Yasmina Peterson and answering all of your questions we are joined in studio with Sheikh Ibrahim Mwaz. Do know that we are still taking your questions on 47913. Alternatively you can send through a fax on 021 Four four double seven two seven one. There's also the email address at jasmina at vocfm.co.za. Some of the other questions that has come through it says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I'm suffering from breaking winds. What is my position while reciting Quran? Uh, yes, if it is a, a chronic condition which happens uh, without the person's control, um, then of course it's a condition, a medical condition, in which case there is leeway given in the Sharia for such a person. Uh, the same would apply for a person that has what we call in Arabic salis will bowl. It means if a person have a, a urine problem, urine drip, u- urine dripping that happens all the time, which they can't really control uh, because of a weakness of bladder, whatever the case may be. So if that is the case, then the ruling is that such a person must take hudu for every waqt and for every fard salah they will have, have to obviously renew their hudu and the hudu must only be taken after the salah has entered or rather the waqt has entered you cannot take hudu before the adhan goes or before the waqt has entered right uh, and once you've taken hudu you must immediately make salah you mustn't delay your salah in any way so those are basically the rules pertaining to a person who has such a condition so for the fard salah this person who has this problem uh, of perpetually uh, being in a state where uh, winds exit etc then such a person must take hudu for every fard salah and it must be after the waqt and they must make salah immediately after they have taken the wudu. However, with regards to sunnah things, so the person is asking about reciting Quran, mm-hmm. well, that same wudu that you have taken for the fard salah, you can actually do all other sunnah things that any person, any other person would do. So with that same wudu, you can recite Quran, you can even make other sunnah salahs if you like. You don't have to make another wudu for every sunnah salah or for every act of, of, of uh, ibadah. It's only the fard salah for each fard salah that a wudu is required. For everything else, it's okay. So if your condition is all the time and it's a medical condition and there's no, nothing you can do about it, then even while you recite Quran and you had taken wudu before that, it would be okay for you to continue reciting the Quran in that particular fashion. So there is no, no problem uh, as far as that is concerned. Yes. The following question reads as follows, Sheikh. It says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. In the case when you are flying in a plane and you can't make salah in the direction of the Qibla, what do you do in that instance? Yeah, obviously, as we mentioned in the last program, that uh, facing the Qibla is one of the prerequisites of the salah. It is one of the shurut and conditions of, of the salah. So um, if a person is on a plane or on a ship, or on any other uh, moving um, transport uh, or any other moving entity 
and he or she is able to face the qibla and uh, fulfill all the other arkan of the salah, then the salah will be correct. Otherwise, if a person is not able to face the qibla while a person is traveling like that for the fard salah, then it would not be valid to make that salah in the wrong direction. Uh, and in fact, if there is no other alternative, let's say you are flying and there is no way that you can face the qibla, but you can make salah but not towards the qibla, then you will have to redo that salah once you are in a position where you are able to face the qibla. So that is basically. Uh, the, the ruling it is allowed for you to make salah on a plane as long as the conditions of salah are fulfilled right all the arkans and all the shurud must be fulfilled so uh, and, and the standard ruling with regards to qibla is that let's say a person had uh, traveled somewhere and he did not know exactly where the qibla was so he tried his best to find out uh, maybe there was no one also so he tried to do his own investigation by looking at the stars or looking at the coming up of the sun etc so he then came to a conclusion where the qibla was so let's say he then made salah towards that qibla which he had uh, worked out by himself so he makes that salah later on somebody comes who lives in the area and says to him you made salah in the opposite direction mm. right actually your back was towards the qibla so what must he do in that case in the shafi'i madhab his salah was not valid even though he tried his best to find out the salah is not valid because clearly if he did not face the qibla he did he then did not fulfill the conditions of salah so obviously he did not commit a sin there is no sin involved but he will have to repeat that salah Right, and face the qibla because that is something which is very important so the same would apply so in the case and I think on most flights on most airplanes it's actually very easy to find the qibla nowadays because all the flights all the, they always have the screen that shows you where you are traveling and you can more or less see where you are and you can more or less work out if you are in that uh, whatever region you are you can more or less work out where Makkah sits from there mm -hmm. right so either you are fl flying towards the direction of Makkah or you are flying away from the direction of Makkah in which case you can work it out more or less if you look on the screen in front of you and it gives you that map uh, you can more or less work it out but let's say you can't it, those facilities are not there or you're not sure and you know for sure that you are not facing the qibla then in such a case you you can make salah in fact it is required that you make salah in the waqt uh, just out of respect but you have to pay in those salahs that was done out of qibla shukran so much for that sheikh the following question reads assalamu alaikum please explain the duties of a woman in idda Yes, there's a, a number of things that apply for a woman who is under idda. Number one is that she should be in a state of mourning, uh, meaning that she should not beautify herself excessively. Uh, she should not be going out. And here we're talking about a woman uh, that is in, uh, under idda either because of divorce or a woman that is under idda because of losing a husband. Both is exactly the same. They should uh, not beautify themselves excessively. They should not leave their home uh, ac except when it is absolutely and totally necessary. And of course, as we know of the rules also is a woman who is under idda is not allowed to get married. And they are also not allowed to accept any proposals for marriage while they are under idda. Alright, those are the things that are required. It, it's all for the protection of, of the woman. It is all for her own dignity and for her own, uh, for her own uh, protection. Uh, an honor so she should obviously try to fulfill that and if there is really a need for her to go out and that may happen maybe she must go out then she can and fulfill that need and come back home and not really spend time unnecessarily out of outside of the home so those are some of the basic rules pertaining to to the idda shukran so much sheikh the following question reads as follows sheikh says assalamu alaikum sheikh and yasmina is a woman allowed to leave her husband if she is hamil yeah, the issue of separation or 
divorce during a pregnancy is something that is not allowed right a, a a husband should not divorce his wife while she is pregnant although if he should do it let's say a husband does actually divorce his wife when she's pregnant then the divorce will be valid the divorce will actually fall and be valid but he has committed an act of haram and the reason for this is that a woman who's, who's hamil firstly we know the idda which we just spoke about uh, in the previous question obviously the length of the idda will be the length of the pregnancy so let's say she got divorced in the first month of pregnancy so that means the idda will be for a whole nine months which is a kind of a very bad thing to do to a woman and it's haram that's why it is actually haram for a person to divorce in that uh, situation you should rather wait till after the child is born and the woman is not in that state because otherwise the idda is going to be extremely long right um, so uh, we, we read in the Iqna' for example just to give a substantiation of this in the book Al-Iqna' by Al-Khatib Al-Shirbini one of the Shafi'i scholars he says uh, that a sunnah to a sunni the proper way of giving a talaq should you give a talaq is an yuqi'at talaqa ala madkhulin biha laysat bihamilin wala saghiratin wala ayisatin fi tuhrin ghayri mujami'in fihi and just to summarize what that means, he says that the talaq in the proper way, if you are going to give one, should be given when the woman is not hamil. And should be given if she is clean, she must not have a haid also. And in that haid, you should not have had intimacy with her. That is important. Because if you had intimacy while she was clean, she may still be pregnant without you knowing. But you should divorce her when she's clean. Why also shouldn't you divorce a woman when she is, ha- when she is uh, in a state of haid? Because that will also prolong the iddah. It will also make the idda longer than what is necessary. So for the same purpose, a woman who is a hamil should not be divorced. But as I said, if it happens, let's say the husband did actually do it, and he said to his wife, I divorce you, right? And he says it explicitly, which can be understood, and that woman is hamil, then that divorce will be valid. But the husband had committed an act of haram, right? And it's actually, in that case, if it was a first or second talaq, it's actually uh, recommended for him to revoke and to take her back so that she is not under a state of idda while she is hamil and then to wait until she is finished giving birth then so this question is obviously coming from a woman asking can i leave my husband while i am hamil so obviously the same thing will apply if you want a fasakh for example of your nikah and you want to annul your marriage but you are hamil then your idda is still going to be until the end of your pregnancy so it's best to wait until you are done and then to go uh, seek an annulment of marriage uh, that is obviously in your interest in fact to do that and uh, also the issue of a woman who's hamil she is emotional there's lots of other things attached so you don't want to really um, you know just uh, des- de- desert or abandon a woman who is in that state and that is why it is not recommended that a husband divorces his wife when she's hamil because now she's n- in need of lots of support and lots of help and so on so that's not a suitable time to actually divorce a woman Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. Do note that we are still currently taking your questions on 47913. Alternatively, you can send through a fax on 021-447-271. Sheikh, the following question reads, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh and Yasmina. Does a lady go under idda once she receives one talaq from her husband? Yeah, of course, as I just mentioned, uh, the, the, the idda obviously is a compulsory for a woman who has either been divorced 
or a woman who lost her husband. So whether it's a first divorce, second divorce, third divorce, she goes under idda for each divorce. Each divorce has its own idda. And uh, the ayah in the Quran is quite clear. Surah Al-Baqarah, chapter 2, verse 228, where Allah Ta'ala says, Women that have been divorced should have a waiting period of three cycles. And here Allah says, women that are divorced. Any woman, whether it's a first idda, first divorce, second divorce, third divorce, it doesn't matter. She has to go under that idda, which, as I said, is for her own uh, protection. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. It says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My mom is 79 years old and never have anything nice to say about our neighbors. Now, I try to convince her otherwise, but she does not want to listen. Anything I can do in this case? Yeah, I read this question and I see the following question seems to be also the same question. It's just like an addition to it, mm-hmm. where she says she even gets cro- uh, cross when I speak to her mm-hmm. about it. And so what can I do? So, uh, yes, the issue here is that uh, your mother, if she is 79, um, it's obviously at this age very difficult for you to convince her to, to do something differently. Okay, at that age, she is probably set in her ways. So, if you are going to do something to advise her, uh, you should do it with patience and you should do it with wisdom. And you should also understand that at that age, most likely, it's very difficult to change her mind for her. Okay, so... We're not condoning. If she's saying bad things about the neighbors, which is unjustified, then obviously it's wrong. What she's doing is wrong. But the way that you are going to address her, as far as this issue is concerned, you must handle her with kids' gloves, if I can put it that way. Handle her with care. Because at that age, you know, she might be slipping, her mind may not be okay, she may be sick, she may be depressed. There's lots of things that may happen when she is at that age. And she is your mother, so you still need to treat her with respect. So um, don't say things to her that's going to upset her. So if she doesn't like you to tell her about this or whatever, rather do it subtly or rather do it in a way that you don't say it directly to her. Okay? And I think one of the advices probably that I can uh, also add is to say, make dua for your mother. You know, m- maybe Allah can change the heart. We, we might find it difficult at that age to, to, to bring about any changes to a person who's reached that age, but maybe Allah can change her heart. So continue to pray for her. Uh, that Allah give her a softer heart and that she does not look badly at the neighbors, etc. But your duty to her, towards her remain a duty of a child-mother relationship, right? You should still respect her as such and try your best to not upset her and try whatever you're going to do in order to help her come out of this issue. Do it with great wisdom and with patience. Hopefully, inshallah, something good will come. Shukran so much, Sheikh. The following question reads as follows. He says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Can a husband that never nafaka his wife but paid money into some other lady's account and when the first wife came across some of these bank statements where he paid in two to five thousand rands into her account quietly to someone that he is not married to yet without telling his first wife, he always reckons her that you have enough money, why must I nafaka you? Yeah, of course, starting with the last statement there, if the husband says to the wife, you have your own money, so I don't need to give you anything, that is obviously wrong. So even if the husband, even if the wife has money, it doesn't mean that the husband does not have to nafaka. He still has to give nafaka. The only time is when she says to him, okay, it's fine, you know, don't worry, right? It's, I will sort things out or we can make another arrangement. In that case, it's fine. They can come to an agreement. But he can't say simply because she has money, that he doesn't have to nafaka. Nafaka remains a responsibility that he needs to give to his wife. So in this case, if he indeed gave money to another woman, mm. to the amounts mentioned, 
uh, without paying nafaka to his own wife, then obviously that is a sin that he's committing. It's a great injustice because he will be answerable for it on the day of Yawm Al-Qiyamah. Allah will ask him, you got married to a woman, you had a wife, you had children, you didn't look after them but you gave money to strange people. So obviously that is wrong and he should be advised accordingly and uh, that nafaka is always owed to you. He can never write it off also. Let's say uh, for, for some time he didn't give you nafaka, right? He's actually owing you that money. It's a debt that he actually needs to give to you. Unless, of course, as I said earlier, unless you say to him, okay, it's fine, I don't want it any longer. I write it off. If, if the woman writes, uh, the wife writes it off, no problem. But it's actually something that is payable to the wife. Uh, and that's why we always say, if a, let's say there's an agreement that both husband and wife works, right? Uh, and the, the, the husband actually agreed to that, and he's fine with that. The money that that wife earns, whose money is that? Right? Can we say that that's the husband's money? Or it's the house's money? Or it's the family's money? No, it's the wife's money. Right, and they is in the times that we are living. Obviously, the wife should also be sensitive. If it's two people working in a house, and she knows the kind of thing that needs to happen, and they live a certain standard that they want to live, then yes, it's obviously morally best for her to pitch in and also to assist. Right, but is it a duty for her to assist? The answer is no. Uh, so, and 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 what goes with that is because in that case, if the husband, for example, says to his wife, "I don't want you to work, rather stay at home, and I will work," then she will she will have to abide by that. Right? She will have to abide by that particular request from her husband. Let's say they're small children. And he says, I rather want you to look after the children. And I'll work alone. In that case, she will have to abide by that. Because obviously, it's in the interest of the family to do that. Conversely, if he allows her to work, then obviously whatever she earns would be hers. And he cannot lay claim to it and say, I don't need to give you enough on account of you having your own money. So that is wrong. He should get that right. Otherwise, he will be responsible, as I mentioned uh, previously. Shukran so much. That day, the voice of Sheikh Ibrahim was in studio answering all of your questions coming through. We are taking questions on 47913. Alternatively, you can send through a fax 021-4477-271. You can also email me, jasmina at vocfm.co.za. This is your program, Questions and Answers. We break for ads now, and when we come back, we'll look at some of the other questions that are coming through. Stay tuned. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You are tuned to 91.3 FM. This is your program, Questions and Answers. I'm your host, Yasmina Peterson, and in studio answering all of your questions, we've got none other than Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Some of the questions that has come through via the SMS 47913. It says, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Is it wrong to bacha Surah Yasin before Fajr Salah? There is no objection for you to recite any Quran or any portion of the Quran at any given time, during the day, during the night. There's no restrictions as to when you should recite and not recite. So if uh, your habit is to recite in the morning, uh, Surah Yasin, and you want to recite it before the Fajr Salah, before you actually make the Fard Salah, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, except that you obviously have to consider the Waqt of Fajr. That you don't recite Yasin while the Waqt is going out, or while, it's, uh, while, you, while the Waqt of Fajr is at its last. That obviously is, is not correct. You should try to make uh, Fajr in its time. And the best time to make Fajr is at the beginning of its time. So um, if it's to do with a waqt issue, and it, it may lead to you making the Salah late, almost at the end of the waqt or when the waqt is out, then in that case you are not allowed then to recite Surah Yasin at that time, but rather to make your Fajr first and then to recite, so that you don't miss your Salah in its time. But let's say your, your recital is quite quick. You can recite Surah Yasin in 5 or 10 minutes. 
which most people can do because it's a familiar surah. So you recite it in 10 minutes. So if you recite it in 10 minutes, there's still a whole hour left for Fajr. Okay, so there's no problem for you to do that, to then uh, first recite and then make Surah Yaseen. Be it as it may, recite any time that is more comfortable for you, as long as the waqt is intact, there should be no objection. Shukran so much, Sheikh. The following question is, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I didn't say to my wife, I talak you, but we did argue twice and then I just walked away. Am I now a free man? No, no. Unfortunately, <laughs> you are still bound by your wife. There is no freedom for you yet. Um, and uh, you should obviously try to reconcile. Uh, when you had an argument and you walked away, it simply meant that you, uh, you, know, you, want, you didn't want to engage any further. But uh, divorce will only take place if you actually say so, if you actually express the words talaq. Or you may use words that allude to talaq. Okay? So if it's clear words such as talaq or divorce or like that, then in that case there is no uh, double intention, there is no interpretation needed. If a person so says those words, then the talaq will be valid. But there may also be times that a person does not say the words clearly, but they allude to talaq. Okay? Like, let's say a husband says to his wife, I don't want you anymore. So what does that mean? Is it talaq or is it not talaq? We don't know. It can be either or. It can either mean he's just angry or it can mean he wants to divorce her. So what will happen in that case is, if a complaint is laid uh, at the hand of a qadi, a judge, or an imam, a sheikh in our case, and the imam will then ask the person, when you said to your wife, I don't want you anymore. What did you mean by that? So the husband will say, well, I didn't mean talaq, but I was just angry. Then the, uh, the imam or the sheikh will say, it's fine. In that case, there was no talaq. But if your intention was, at the time when you said, I don't want you any longer, you actually meant in your heart that you are divorcing her, then in that case, that is also a valid form of divorce. So it all boils down to the intention, if the words are unclear. But if the words are clear, such as the word talaq. So a husband says to his wife, I talaq you. Right. Can he come now to the imam and say, I didn't mean talaq? The answer is no. There's no way that he can say he meant something else when he actually said talaq. Alright? Because talaq can only mean talaq, it cannot mean something else. So it's clear words, then it's talaq. If it's unclear words, then if you had the intention of talaq, then it will be talaq. In your case, you didn't say anything, you just walked away after an argument. So yes, no divorce here, you are still married. And you must try to reconcile uh, with your spouse. If not, and you really want to get out of the marriage, then you should obviously clearly state to her that you have divorced her. Shikran Sheikh, the following question is as follows. Assalamu alaikum. I made istihara and dream my husband marrying the woman he's having an affair with and his sister standing next to him in a haram. What do I make of this, Sheikh? Yes, I unfortunately don't have any, any knowledge or experience of dreams and how to interpret dreams. Uh, but uh, I suggest that, uh, you know, if you, because uh, very often when we dream of certain things, it's because of things that we live in our lives and things that we think about. So if there's an issue here between your husband and yourself with regards to him having an affair with somebody, then that has to be sorted out, right? The fact that you saw in the dream that he marries her, uh, maybe it's indication that he feels comfortable with that wife and not with you Allahu alam. I don't know as I said I don't interpret dreams uh, in terms of the ihram uh, well ihram for me is a positive thing obviously ihram means ibadah it means worship etc but uh, standing next to this woman who is having a I don't know what that means but ihram in itself obviously is uh, supposedly a good thing because it shows ibadah etc so uh, 
you may consult, there are maybe some uh, learned scholars who are experienced in this particular field. Maybe find out, you know, by your local imam or by your local masjid, if there is anybody that they can recommend you to as far as interpretation of the. And I find the elderly, you know, some of the elderly shuyukh, they have this kind of hikmah sometimes and they have this type of background and knowledge to be able to speak to you about how to interpret dreams. It's a very, it's a very uh, intricate science. It's not something that you, you know, uh, you just see something and you just think, okay, it means that. Okay, sometimes we could kind of maybe give an indication what it possibly could be. But to actually get a proper interpretation of that, you need obviously somebody that has that background. Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. We're going to the last question before we head on to our ad break. And it says, yeah, Asalaamu Alaikum, Sheikh. Is it appropriate to go for Hajj by borrowing money? Firstly, if a person were to borrow money and actually go on Hajj, the Hajj would be accepted and it would be complete and you would have fulfilled the Rukun of the Arkan of Islam. However, is this ideal and is this required? The answer is no. It is not ideal and it is not required. Uh, the reason for that is that Allah Ta'ala had made Hajj fard upon people who uh, can afford it and has the ability to go. Those who has the ability, they were required to perform the Hajj. So if you did not have that requirement in your life or that ability in your life, then you are not compelled or obliged to perform this particular rukun. There's a hadith uh, that is recorded by Ibn Abi Shayba on the authority of Abdullah ibn Abi Awfa who was a Sahabi, a companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa somebody actually asked him this question and asked him anir rajuli yastaqridu wa yahujj a person borrows money from someone else and he performs hajj so uh, his answer to this person was yastarziqullah wa la yahujj it would be best for him to ask Allah to give him rizq and not to hajj with that money that he borrowed from someone else otherwise you're going to put yourself in a burden for something which is not yet fard upon you. Mm. Who knows whether you'll be able to pay it back. And nowadays, how much does Hajj cost? Right? It's a massive amount. Mm. So you have to, to borrow, borrow by someone 60,000 or 70,000. It's a massive amount. So for you to come back with that burden, to be able to pay off that debt and so on, Allah does not require that from you. You should ask Allah to give you rizq and to grant you uh, barakah in your rizq. Hopefully Allah can make it easy and facilitate for you. So if you were to perform Hajj with that money, it would be halal, it would be okay, it would be accepted, but it is not something which is required from you to do. Shukran so much. That is the voice of Sheikh Ibrahim was Imam at the Yusufiyah Masjid. This is your program, Questions and Answers. We're still taking it live on 47913, the SMS line, as well as the fax on 021-447271. For now, we break fast. When we come back, we'll conclude with the program. Stay tuned. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim was. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is your program, Questions and Answers. We are in the last few minutes of the program. And of course, we've got a few questions left before we end off with the show. Do note that you can still send through your questions through to 47913. Alternatively, you can also send through a fax on 021-447-271. Or you can email me at jasmina at vocfm.co.ca. Sheikh, the following question is as follows. Assalamu alaikum. If a person becomes poor of the Hajj becomes far for him, is it still far for him to go to Hajj? Yeah, as I mentioned just in the previous uh, answer, that Hajj is for those who can afford it. Hmm. Uh, I suppose the question here is a person was saving his money, he had the money to go Hajj, or he was close to having the money for Hajj, and then for some reason or the other, something came up and he had to use that money. So, obviously, if he used that money for uh, his survival, 
for his everyday survival things that had to be done things that without that money would not have been able to put uh, food on the, on the table you know and not bring something back home so obviously in that case he can use from that money because you are not then yet compelled to go on hajj no problem right on the other hand one must be careful let's say the person was saving this money for hajj but then something comes up that he wants to do with that money that is not necessary he wants to buy a better car or he wants to do an alteration to the house or he wants to just do something go on a holiday for example he feels that is now something which he needs right now but the money that he had was already intended for hajj and it was already there so he's already able to go because he has the money so that obviously money should not be touched for those purposes you had made your intention you should go for hajj you should keep that money for hajj but as i said if it is something else that was really a necessity then yes in that case it will not then yet be for you compulsory to go because it seems that the money that you have is more needed for your everyday expenses and you then make uh, you know you, you try your best to become capable again become able again by working hard and saving uh, once again that is what you should do but you should not use that money of course for things that are unnecessary or things that are uh, not really important but rather keep the money and uh, of course it's fault for you once you have the money you should go that is you should not delay it you know some scholars say once you have the money uh, once you have enough and you have the health and all the other factors are there you should not delay it at all you should immediately make intention and try to do it as quickly as possible because you don't know what may lie ahead and you may actually miss this rukun of the arkan of islam shukran so much sheikh and then the following question is as follows says assalamu alaikum sheikh if you intend to make qurbani for yourself can you cut your hair and nails and if not then when do you stop cutting your hair and nails yes it is recommended it's not compulsory but it is recommended that a person who intends to make the qurbani on the day of idul adha that they stop uh, cutting their hair and their nails when the month of dhul hijjah begins because we know eid al-adha is on the 10th of dhul hijjah so it is sunnah for a person from the 1st of dhul hijjah up until the time when the person is going to uh, offer the sacrifice that a person does not remove any hair and does not cut any nails as i mentioned this is sunnah it's recommended it's not a fart it's not a must and uh, just a quick quotation from a kitab called al-muhadhab by the great shafi'i scholar al-shirazi so in this kitab al-muhadhab he says وَمَنْ دَخَلَتْ عَلَيْهِ عَشْرُ ذِي الْحِجَّةِ A person who is now in the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah وَأَرَادَ أَنْ يُضَحِّي And he had intention to offer a sacrifice فَالْمُسْتَحَبُّ أَنْ لَا يَحْلِقَ شَعْرَهُ وَلَا يَقْلِمَ أَثْفَارَهُ It is uh, recommended that he does not cut his hair and it is recommended also that he does not cut his nails حَتَّى يُضَحِّي Until that time when he offers the sacrifice Lima rawat Ummu Salama because of what is narrated by Ummu Salama, the wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. She narrates a hadith where the Prophet said, Man kana indahu dhabhun yuridu an yadbaha, faraa hilala dil hijja, fala yamusa min sha'rihi wala min afarihi, hatta yudahi. The hadith says that if a person has an animal that he wishes to sacrifice for Yudul Adha, then when the moon has been sighted for the hijja, he should not cut his hair and he should not cut his nails uh, until he has offered the sacrifice. And Imam Shirazi says then, Wala yaj. But it is not wajib, it is not a fart. So if a person does cut his hair the first 10 days, he can still slaughter, he can still do a qurbani. And he did not make uh, an act of haram. But rather he just missed out on a sunnah. And the hikmah here perhaps is that during those days, we find that the hujjaj are also in a state of ihram. 
So they're also staying away from cutting off hair and clipping off nails and all of that. So when you're doing that, it's almost like you with them. You are doing what they are doing. You are kind of uh, joining them in some of the ibadah that they are doing. But it's not compulsory. But it's a good recommendation for a person from the first of the hijjah until when he slaughters that animal that he does not. So once the, the animal is slaughtered, that is the time that he then will cut his hair and his nails, as is the sunnah of the Prophet Shukran so much for that, Sheikh. And then the last question reads as follows. Is Aslam alaikum. If people on hajj and they don't have money to pay the dam, can one make qurbani year for them? And if you are not financially by the means, then what happens next? Yeah, obviously a person who offers a dam on that side, we must know that is part of the hajj. It is part of the rituals. Uh, they have to do it. Uh, and so they must make preparations for it uh, already when they leave. When they go there, it must be part of the expenses that are already budgeted for. Okay, So if they cannot do it, they for some reason ha- don't have the ability to do it, then in such a case, they will move on to the next obligation. And Allah mentions this in Surah Baqarah. Chapter 2 verse 196 Where Allah Ta'ala mentions that if you go for hajj And you have your sacrificial animal Then that is what must be done uh, But he says فَمَنْ لَمْ يَجِدَ فَصِيَامُ ثَلَاثَةِ أَيَّامٍ فِي الْحَجِّ وَسَبَعَةٍ إِذَا رَجَعْتُمْ تِلْكَ عَشَرَةٌ كَامِلًا But a person who does not have money for that uh, Sacrificial animal on hajj He should fast three days during hajj and, ten day, and seven days rather When he returns back to his family in other words, a total of 10 days altogether must be fasted uh, in place of the dam, which he could not afford. Okay. So the question here is, can somebody make a qurbani back home and intended for that? The mm-hmm. answer is no. It has to be done on that side. And it has to be done for the purposes and the niyyah of your ihram and your hajj and not to do with qurbani. Remember, the qurbani is done anywhere in the world. It's got nothing to do with the hajj. It's not related. So a person can do qurbani any, any given Eid al-Adha at any place. But you cannot uh, say that that also goes for the person's dam, which must be paid in uh, in Makkah or which must be done in Makkah. Uh, so you can't you cannot do it on their behalf on this side. It must be done over there. So if they can't afford it on that side, they simply fast the ten days, three days while they are in Hajj, and seven days when they re- return to their families. Okay. But I just want to caution, just as a final point, that those Hajjis that do go, they must budget this thing obviously in their p- package, uh, because very often uh, what we find is that Hajjis they do have a lot of money for other things. They go shopping, they do a lot of things. And towards the end of Hajj, they say now they don't have money for the dam. And this is wrong. You can't go shopping and buy a lot of things, buy a lot of luxuries and buy a lot of gifts and all of that. And you did not yet fulfill all the requirements that you need to pay for Hajj, which is inclusive of the dam which needs to be paid. So we caution Hajjis that they don't do that, but rather they put aside that money so that they know that they are in fact capable to pay it and not uh, later on say they are not able to while they have spent the money elsewhere. Shukran so much. And on that note, that is where we leave our questions and answers. But do note, you can still send through your questions. If you have any questions relating to Hajj or to Qurban, you can send them through to 47913. Alternatively, send through a fax on 021-4477271. And we will look at those questions next week, inshallah. Shukran so much, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum. Jazakumullah khairan to you, Sister Yasmina, and to all our dear listeners. Uh, may we all be under the guidance of Allah for the next week. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And from myself, Yasmina, I hope that you have a pleasant day further, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.